Hey, New Song family. Sarah Stavey shared a message on spirit-led discipling and evangelism on Sunday. Now, we refer to this as power evangelism in our foundations teaching, but I'm excited for you to hear this because she comes at it through the spiritual connection between the kingdom of God being here and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So open up to Mark 1, 14 through 15, and let this word stir your spirit into response. And after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Lord, we thank you for what you're speaking to us. We ask that you give us ears to hear your spirit and your word and to live it in our lives as well, in Jesus' name. So I'd like to hear if anybody did have a word or phrase, something the Holy Spirit showed you when we read, something that stood out to you. Yeah, for me, I I think uh, the word that stood out to me was repent. And in my heart, I was going, okay, Lord, like, what do you want me to repent of? And I felt like the Father showed me, he's like, it's not... I want you or I want my people, I want whom I've created, my kids, to need me. And in that word repentance, it's a recognition of who we are to the Father and that we ultimately need Him. Um, and I was referring, and I was just thinking back to even as I was work talking about Scripture to some of the guys that I work with, and was like, man, they're just unrepentant. They don't have that thing in their heart that gives them a check. And that word just stood out to me and was like, Lord, like, what would it take for people to just realize that they need you? That's his ultimate That's awesome. goal is that Jesus wants us to need him and wants us to recognize that we can't do it without him. And in that comes the perfect relationship of the Father bringing us back. So, yeah, that was, that was word. So, thank you. Anybody else have a word or a phrase that stood out to them as we read that? The kingdom of God is near. The the picture that I got in my head of that is, of course, Jesus was bringing the kingdom, but it also, and he was near, here he was, but also it's it's like revealing that that thin veil um, between us and the heavenly realm and just who's personifying that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anyone else? I was just saying about one, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. Something that we can actually grasp. Yeah. Something that is tangible. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I was thinking about the significance of the statement that he makes the time is fulfilled. It seems like the scriptures are full of these amazing stories from Genesis through the Revelation of tension building up and then boom there's the suddenly moment and Jesus's suddenly moment is so obscure he just says (laughs) exactly the time is fulfilled that's just a powerful statement exactly and that is actually where I want to start is that the kingdom of God is it's a time not a place and it the time is now it's come it's so it's it i mean you look at 
in the Old Testament and they were waiting and waiting and waiting for the king to come and to remove all the evil of the age and to start a new day where he was ruling and he was in charge. And Jesus shows up and says, it's here. <laughs> and it's, it's so subtle and it's so surprising, so surprising because he doesn't come in politically. He doesn't come in valiantly. You know, we know he came in in a manger as a baby, and then he just starts announcing, it's here, it's arrived. And um, we see it demonstrated in his ministry. So you, what do we see him doing? He starts eating with the outcasts. The people who, I mean, that made the religious people very uncomfortable. They, were, they, they, they literally grumbled about who he spent his time with. And his eating with them was this offering of the kingdom that it was available that what was going to happen in the future when we'll feast with him, it's now here. And he starts offering his a meal. He starts eating with sinners and outcasts. And, and they're so comfortable with him. Think about that. The most rejected people, the most unreligious people, they were comfortable with him, and they spent a lot of time together. And uh, I just think about if he came, he'd probably, I mean, if he came in the flesh again, probably be doing the same thing. He probably wouldn't be trying to get people into a church service. (laughs) He'd probably be out eating with them. And how many of us can say that the most sinful people are comfortable with us and feel comfortable spending time with us. And how many of us can say we're, we're spending time with them and we're loving them in such a way that they, they feel okay. And this was the arrival of the kingdom. You see it in his eating with them. You see it in his healing the untouchables, the people who nobody wanted to touch. You see him accepting the, the rejects and the, uh, forgiving Uh, the people who had done horrible things. Um, And and so you see his ministry, it was very, well, first of all, that the kingdom arrived and was demonstrated in his ministry to people. And that ministry was very holistic. It wasn't just this intellectual telling them, this is what you need to believe Get your doctrine right, and then you'll be good to go. Um, Instead, he's eating with them. He's healing their bodies. He's healing broken relationships. So it's emotional, it's social, it's it's, uh, physical, and it's spiritual too. But I feel like we're very familiar with the spiritual part of the kingdom of God. But he comes bringing the kingdom. Why? To show them that, I mean, this is the good news. The kingdom has arrived. Mm-hmm. Remember, it's a time. It's come and it's here. That's the good news. And so often we reduce the kingdom, the good news, I should say, mm-hmm. to uh, your status in the kingdom in the future is threatened, so you better change your doctrine, your mm-hmm. thinking. Mm-hmm. But actually, the good news, he says, is it's here, mm-hmm. it's come. And you can partake of it. And um, there's this even reversing 
of repentance. He goes and he, um, Zacchaeus, I just love that story. The Lord's been talking to me so much through that story, through the story of Zacchaeus lately. Um, And he, first he goes and he tells Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today and eat with you. So he goes and eats with him and then Zacchaeus repents. We, we come and we say, oh, you have to repent so that you can be in the kingdom. But Jesus came giving the kingdom away. And what happened when they taste his goodness, they repent. Um, so that's the good news, that the kingdom has come. And this has very significant implications for the role of the church and what we're supposed to be doing, as I'm sure you can already um, surmise. So, and it's important to maintain the tension of the kingdom is here, Mm. but it's also not yet. We know there's more. We know we're going to see a fulfillment, but it's here. And I feel like we have reduced that understanding of the kingdom is here as only a spiritual thing. Like, yeah, you can be healed. God can bless you, this and that. But, But he actually wants people to experience it in every area of their life. Amen. So we know it's this now and not yet. And I love what is on the website um, for a new song where it says, we're ecstatic about the return of King Jesus, but committed to bringing heaven to earth in the meantime. And I, I think it's so valuable. Uh, people tend to fall on one side or the other of the kingdom's not yet, or it's here. <laughs> but if, you, if we can hold that tension, it's so powerful. And I think um, I just... Part of why I want to share all this today is because when I hear the stories from all of you about discipling pre-believers and and when we talk about mission and discipleship, um, I just have this sense that the Lord's like, this is so good and press into this more, this whole aspect of um, being committed to bringing heaven to earth now. This is the good news and that people need to taste Um, So I feel like he wants us to press into that. We know there's more. We know people, um, they do need to repent so they can spend eternity with the Lord. So there's that side of it. But we also, I feel like he wants us to press more into bringing the kingdom now on earth and to remember that it's not just a spiritual or an intellectual thing. It's something he wants people to taste and experience in every area of their life. Um, And how do we do that? What's so fascinating to me is that there's this link between the kingdom of God and the baptism of the Spirit throughout Scripture. Even in the Old Testament, when there's talk of the Spirit being poured out in the Old Testament, it's in the context of the day of the Lord and the time when God would come and set things right and bring this new day and set up His kingdom. And so there's always this pairing of Spirit and kingdom. And then you see it with Jesus. If you look in the Gospels and in Acts, he's presented both as the baptizer in the Spirit and the inaugurator of the kingdom. And they're often closely linked. And so this baptism of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit, is so closely tied to the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, I'm going to look up this verse so I don't quote it wrong. This is Matthew 12, 28. This is an example of 
how he brought the kingdom. It says, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you, come upon you. So he brings the kingdom by defeating darkness and death through liberating acts of the spirit that the spirit does. The spirit comes and sets people free and that's how they taste the kingdom. And so the kingdom is this pouring out of the spirit. He wants to, to indwell all of creation and that's what we'll eventually see. But it's so kind of crazy that Jesus came and said, it's here now. And so this is actually the very reason why we have been baptized in the spirit is to give away this taste of the kingdom. I think we got to be really, really careful because we take, because of our culture, culture has such a way of twisting the gospel and twisting our understanding of scripture. It's so easy to think of um, the, the outpouring of the spirit is, is for me to have a good experience with the Holy Spirit. And even that can just become consumerism. And of course, it's like Chris said the other week about worship. It makes sense that we would fall into it um, becoming a consumeristic thing because it's so good. He's so good. <laughs> and when he fills us and when he heals us and when we you know, experience the love of God and we find out we are his children or we get healed in our bodies or whatever these things happen, yeah, it's so awesome and it's so good. And I don't, I don't want to take away from saying he loves to do that for his children. I don't, I don't want to um, taint that either. But it just can't stop there. It's not meant to stop and just be for our own good experience or even for it to be for us to have a better life or to be more blessed in this way or that. He wants to do all those things for us, but it's got to overflow to others. It's got to, it's got to go out. It's, um, this, remember the, the outpouring of the Spirit has to do with the kingdom of God being on earth, and He wants people who don't know Him to begin tasting the kingdom, just like Zacchaeus. Before Zacchaeus uh, repented, he got to taste and experience the kingdom, eating with Jesus. Jesus didn't go in telling him everything he did wrong, telling him why he needed to change what he believed. And changing his doctrine, he went and ate with him and loved him. And then Zacchaeus repented. It came, but I think we need to shift our um, our thinking to giving people an experience of the kingdom, not just telling them about it. And proclamation is important. It is important to preach and to declare the kingdom. But but people need. Luke said this a couple weeks ago. Um, people have heard heard it. A lot of people in our culture have heard the gospel. They need to experience it. Um, So, and even in Acts 1, 3, and 4, right when Jesus tells them to wait for the outpouring of the Spirit, right before that it says he was talking about things concerning the kingdom. So the baptism of the Spirit is in the context, in the framework of the kingdom. So, again, our, our baptism in the Spirit is to give people a taste of the kingdom. Our, our role as a church, the church in general, is to give people a taste of the kingdom and to be a foreshadow of the kingdom, a sign of the kingdom, so that people can begin experiencing what it's like when God is in charge and when He rules 
the love they get, the freedom they get, the healing they get. And uh, the gifts of the Spirit poured out to other people, they're, they're all a part of, um, of lining things up um, into God's, God's way of doing things. For example, healing, you know, he wants their bodies. When he's in charge, bodies aren't broken. And so healing is just a taste of the, of the kingdom of God. Um, and this is for everybody who's poor in every form, whether they're poor spiritually or um, any kind of physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, any kind of oppression, suffering, bondage, or brokenness. He just wants to pour the love in. Um, so, I, again, I think this has a lot of implications for the way we're approaching um, our role as a church. Um, what is what is the role of the church in this time and in this time of history when we're here, when the kingdom has arrived? Um, and I think that has um, implications for specifically a few things I want to touch on today are um, the implications for evangelism and for discipleship and just the overall mission of the church. And I think a lot of it can be summed up in discerning and participating in uh, with the spirit and what he's doing in the world um and and this actually makes things so much easier i'll give you one little example this example is actually prayer but i think it most easily demonstrates what i'm talking about um there was a point in time where i really um spent a lot of time soaking and kind of learning about the Father's love and, um, you know, getting free of all that performance stuff and (laughs) just receiving the love of God. And then I read, um, and I mean, I grew up, I grew up striving at everything. Everything was hard work. Praying was hard work. Reading the Bible was hard. Everything, striving, 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 striving. Um, Doing school was hard work, everything. And um, then I went through this soaking in love of God time. And then um, I remember reading Benny Johnson's book, The Happy Intercessor. And I really learned from that um, and from the soaking. It was this combination in this time to just, um, when I spend time with the Lord, to just see what he's saying, see what he's doing, and then just agree with it. And so uh, instead of me working, praying, trying to make things happen. <laughs> and, um, and so I remember one day I was just soaking and I wanted to pray for a friend. And I just saw the Lord um, going. I just saw a picture representing the Lord going deeper into my friend. And so I just said, OK, I agree with that. Yes, Lord, do that. And literally, that's it. I mean, it's just this, it's, it's so not the striving. It's just agreeing with what he's doing. What's the spirit doing? And we're just partnering with him. This is not a works thing of, you need to bring the kingdom. <laughs> you know, this is, what is the spirit doing? Remember, it's the outpouring of the spirit that brings the kingdom. And we just observe, what is he doing? And agree with it and, and follow his prompting. So I agreed with this picture I saw and literally... I don't remember if it's that exact day or the next day, but very shortly after, my friend literally calls me and says, I just want the Lord to go deeper in me. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, what? This is so easy. <laughs> and it's, it's the same for 
are everything. It are the discipleship, the evangelism, whatever ministry we're called to do. What's he doing? And let's join it and just listening. And it's in our everyday lives. It doesn't. It's he wants it. He wants it to be in our everyday life, not just in an event or a program. Um, so let's let's talk about. Um, a little bit about evangelism. So part of what we're talking about, about the kingdom being, uh, the kingdom has come. Part of our, part of, okay, so part of it is changing our understanding a little bit of what the good news is. And part of it is that the kingdom has come and people can partake of that goodness now. We've kind of already um, touched on that. And then, with our method and our goal for evangelism, uh, I, I, I really sense the, the spirit wanting to shift. Like, if you just look at the season we're in as a big picture, um, not just trying to present an intellectual or rational understanding of the gospel, um, not just trying to get people to agree with information or to change their doctrine. Um, I remember a time in the 90s, you know, going through learning certain steps to tell people, you know, to evangelize. And, and doctrine matters. Um, being able to preach matters, present the gospel. It all matters, but we can't reduce the gospel to an intellectual presentation where our goal is to get mental assent to what we're saying. It's so much bigger than that. It's the kingdom is here. He's here to heal your body. He's here to heal your emotions. He's here to heal your relationships. And, and people need to taste that. They don't, they don't need just a list of which scriptures to believe and believe they're bad so that they can be saved and then be in the kingdom someday. They need to know it's here and you can have it. And then like Zacchaeus, they're going to repent. Um, so they, uh, so we just we reduce the gospel too often to information about Jesus, when really it's Jesus Himself. They need an encounter with Him. They need to know Him. And um, I think for a long time, the intellectual presentation of the gospel worked so well because we um, because of the time and in, in culture, it was a lot more. They say in, in my schooling, modernist, <laughs> um, and now. We're in more of a postmodern time, and and you know I think in the church we have learned that postmodernism is this bad thing, but really modern modernism, where it's all about intellectual rationalism, that's actually not the full gospel either. And so um, our, I think our understanding of the gospel was so tainted by it's this rational intellectual explanation mm -hmm. and then when culture shifted and now we're like why aren't why isn't evangelism working anymore mm -hmm. we have to step back and look and see okay what if that was actually the gospel and what was culture and how did culture taint the gospel and i think that's one of the ways is making us think it we we uh, meaning the church in general fell into oh we've got to give this rational explanation yeah and really the gospel is so much more than that so, for example, um, when Luke shared his testimony about um, the firefighter who um, he just expressed care to, and, you know, she was the only woman firefighter, and he's sticking up for her, basically, and, and caring for her, and then, 
and then presenting scripture and then praying for her healing. I mean, think of how much of the gospel of the kingdom she was tasting in that. It wasn't just an intellectual presentation. It was emotional. It was relational. It was spiritual. It was physical. And, um, you know, she needs to know in the kingdom of God, um, I mean, that's a healing of even things like uh, how men and women are treated. Like People need to know in the gospel, like the scripture that says there is no male or female. Everyone is valued equally. And she got a little taste of that, that when the kingdom of God is there, she doesn't have to fear for how she's treated, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, So, okay, and then now let's talk a little bit about disciple-making. Actually, how are we doing on time? Are we okay? Okay. Um, So, same thing. Again, in all these, it's paying attention to how is the spirit moving and then us joining in. And so um, that happened with the evangelism, like Luke, Luke's story. And it's the same thing in disciple making. I love, um, I love the verse. It's Mark 1.17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear in there, I've thought, I've thought tons and tons and tons about discipleship and disciple making. And I hear in there, and, and what is the definition of a disciple? And um, I hear in there three kind of stages of discipleship. Come, follow me. So there's this invitation. He's calling people to, to walk with him and respond to him. And then I will make you. So there's this process. It's okay. <laughs> there's this process of transformation. And then fishers of men. So it's participating, again, in what the Spirit is doing. It all has to lead to that. It's not, making a disciple is not, you come in here and we're going to teach you and tell you the right things to believe. And again, doctrine matters, teaching matters. um, But that will come at the right time. But the goal, so the goal is not to get them into church. The goal is not to teach them the right things to believe. The goal is, will they respond to his invitation and walk with him and get to the point where they are fishers of men? So participating in what he's doing. It's got to go all the way through those steps. Um, and I, I have learned that the word disciple means learner. And again, this is where I think our culture has tainted our understanding of that. We think learner, student, sit in a class, be quiet, um, receive information. Uh, And really, if you look at this, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, and you look at Jesus' example, you see learner means walking with him, participating with him, constantly following him, constantly learning from him. So a, a disciple is someone who is continually learning from the Spirit, continually walking with Him, never stopping. When we stop learning from Him, we're we're not a disciple. Mm -hmm. It's not a status you get to. I've been discipled. I know the right things. I've, you know, I'm 
a mature Christian, not, not that it's wrong to acknowledge if you're a mature Christian, but it's not a status to be achieved. It's something we have to keep doing, keep walking, keep learning, keep letting him teach us. And then when we're discipling others, that's your goal. Get them walking with him and learning from him and constantly learning, never stopping, not getting them to a, a point where they the believe all the right things, but where they're letting him teach them. So again, the goal of disciple making is not cram information down people and get them to think the right thing and believe the right thing, but to walk with him. It's life in the spirit, teaching them to walk with him. And um, the Holy Spirit is such a good teacher. We reduce him to this prompter to believe the Bible. (laughs) right like okay holy spirit show them you know help them to believe what's in the bible he's so much more than that he's the one that can teach them and if we will follow his lead instead of having our agenda of this is what i need to teach them instead paying attention what's the holy spirit speaking in their life what's he doing and encouraging them to walk in that and helping them and bringing clarification when it's time and when they ask questions and when, or when the Lord leads us to teach them something. But um, he's just such a good teacher. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I want to tell you one story. Um, when I was discipling a pre-believer, um, not to say, oh, this is how you need to do it, but because the Lord taught me so much in that in that process and in that story, a lot of what I just shared with you came from this experience. Um, I had a friend, I was working um, in a real estate office at the time. It was a terrible fit. May it never happen again. <laughs> but, but the redeeming factor in it all was um, this, this woman who um, started just asking questions about the Lord. I remember when I got there, uh, I had been working in the church for a long time, and so this was my first time in a very long time working in a non-Christian environment, and I remember thinking, okay, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do? Do I wait till the you know the right time? We think build friendship, and then when it's right, tell them the gospel. And I just remember thinking, I'm just going to be myself, and I'm going to um, talk to my coworkers like I would talk to my friends, like assuming they're okay. <laughs> Like, oh, and then I felt like the Lord told me this. You know, I would just share my life, like, with them, like I would with my friends. And so then they began to ask questions. And um, one of them, um, a couple of them, they said, will you teach us to pray? And um, so we had all these powerful times. And one of them um, was a, a Catholic. She grew up Catholic. I was there, I think, almost three years and I had been praying for her the whole time. And, you know, she had shown so much hunger, but I didn't feel like we had had a time when she really was born again. Mm-hmm. And and so, and I just would really question, like, is she okay already? Or, <laughs> like, does this, is this something that needs to happen? You know, and I had been praying for her for three, or, I, three years. And then, even when I left, we stayed in contact. And then my, my house church at the time, we had decided, let's, let's have prayer buddies for a while. So we would um, call each other and pray for, like, um, like if Amy was my prayer buddy, we'd call each other. She'd pray for my friend that I'm praying for and vice versa. We'd pray for each other for these people we're believing to get saved. And um, 
So the first week we started, I think I had been praying, or, praying for her for four or five years at this point. And the first week we start this prayer buddy um, plan, then um, I just kept hearing in my spirit a question for her. Have you ever had a point in your life where you told him you would follow him? Mm-hmm. And I, that question was just bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. So then all week, uh, that's bubbling me. And then that weekend we, oh, before the weekend, then she texted me this question about the, the 99, the lost sheep and the 99. And her question was like, basically like, um, she felt like she was the 99. She was the good sheep. She worked so hard. And then the, the bad one gets all the attention. And her boss, you know, is like um, giving all the attention to the people who aren't doing their work. And here she is doing her work and she gets no attention. And is that what it means? And um, <laughs> is that what the scripture means? <laughs> and um, then, anyway, that weekend, and I... Um, I didn't directly I didn't directly answer her at the time. And then that week we went for a walk and then she's just telling me about work and how horrible it is, how awful it is and and so then I um and she's like, "Should I leave in the economy and this and that and you know, back and forth. Should I leave or shouldn't I leave?" And then that question came up. Well, have you ever and I just decided I had been learning to just stay in the story of people's lives and see where God's story intersects theirs rather than trying to always present a list of information about the gospel. So that question came up. Have you ever told the Lord you would follow him no matter what? If he tells you to leave the job, you'll leave. If he tells you to stay, you'll stay. She's like, no, I haven't. And then she's like, um, I, I just think I'm too analytical to do that. Like, how, how would you do that? And then, um, anyway, she, the conversation proceeds, and she uh, she starts giving me all her arguments about why she can't follow God, you know, and starts asking, but you know, evil people get good things, and you know, all the. So she starts asking me all this doctrinal stuff, and we just get to talk about scripture, and eventually, um, then I say. It, it got to the point where I said, we should be praying for your boss together. And um, so she agrees to pray. So we pray mm-hmm. for her boss. And then our conversation had got far enough. I knew she kind of she kind of was ready to tell him she would follow him. And so then um, I said, do you want to pray about that? And she's like, yeah. And, and she just starts praying. And I'm thinking, like, you know, should, do I need to explain to her to <laughs> repent of her sins? And Jesus died and, you know, all these things. And I'm like, I'm just going to see where this goes. And she just starts telling him, I give you my life. Like, I mean, she just starts basically saying all the gospel. Wow. And she's praying. We're walking. She's praying. And then all of a sudden she stops and she just starts bawling. And she's like, I can see I'm the one she how foolish that I thought I was the 99. <laughs> and she's just, we're standing on there on the trail and she's bawling and I'm hugging her and, you know, like, but can you see that he's forgiven you? Yes, he's opened my eyes. It's so clear. <laughs> it was awesome. And, but it's like, the Holy Spirit did it. Like, if we'll just listen and follow his prompting, let go of our agenda, stop trying to tell people what they need to think and believe, and, and just 
go with what he's say, saying and not take on this responsibility that I have to make them a disciple. The Holy Spirit's the one saying, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And, and when we just listen, he's doing that in people's lives. We'll just watch and just follow his prompting. He's the one that will lead them wow. in that process. Praise and it's God. so fun and so yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> Can I say something? Yeah. This is a picture of fishing and, and from the, like, with the, how the disciples fish, you know, it's like, you know, fishermen with big nets. But like how we fish is with a rod and it's a long, you have to wait a long time <laughs> yeah. process. And it's just like what we don't, and that's, that's what he's asked us to do, is to, will you sit and wait? Would you wait on my spirit to bring the, that fish to the hook? Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's like, and I'm the hook, not you. you know? um, it, but it's such a, like, it's not, and fishing is not like your performance. You know, yeah. it's like, you just... I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's him. Yeah. Wow. Love, love is patient yeah. and kind and long-suffering. Right? Yeah. That's so good. So true. It reminds me of when my kids were little and they'd come downstairs to the where they had at that time in their lives. I had a gym uh, set up and so there was this polar bar on the ceiling. And they'd come down. And they'd ask about what I said, well, you have, you have to do it. And they look up at it, you know, it's like six feet of them. And looking up at it, so you have to jump. And so they pick them up, put them on the pull-up bar, and then they're hanging up. I said, and you have to do a pull-up. And of course, that's when I would have them do a pull-up. And they get down on the ground, and they feel so strong. And they'd be like, I did it, Daddy. Like 99% bad <laughs> and 1%. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened without you. Amen. Yeah. It wouldn't have happened if they didn't choose to try and jump and try and pull up either. So if they ran away and they chose to do it. Yeah. 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 Why? But mm-hmm. it said after John was put in prison, yeah. Jesus went to Galilee. So, and then it was talking about the kingdom is near. Yeah. But I always think of it, I mean, God is so big, but yeah, he's so personal. And so I always try to think of it from like the personal perspective, too. Yeah. But it's like from John's perspective, he's in prison. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yet the kingdom of God is here. And so it's, to me, it's just like it's beyond our own personal circumstances. Yeah. God yeah. is at work regardless of where yeah. we are. Amen. Yeah. So yeah. And they kind of went to right. strive anything. Yeah. You can strive yeah. what you want, but yeah. you're sidelined, right? right? It's still a lot of He's still working. Yeah. It's, it's like the, the, uh, uh, the statement, today is the day of salvation. Exactly. That started on the cross with the, the, the thief that Jesus said, today you'll be with yeah. me in paradise. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. So, wow. I'll just end with this. I think... On, uh, we need to change our measure of success for the church. I think it can subtly linger even when we've transitioned to house church. So we're waiting. Like now we think, oh, now that we're focused on the loss, they'll come in and it'll multiply and grow and whatever. And I'm not saying it won't, but I'm saying we can still have this subtle thinking of like waiting for people to come in. But actually, I think he's wanting 
us to go out. Yeah. Us to go give people a taste of the kingdom. Yeah. There's people who need a taste of the kingdom who may never come here. Yeah. God might do church in a form we've never even imagined or envisioned, uh, but we've got to go out. They may come here. But our, we gotta, I think we got to stop hoping and wishing for them to come in. Not, not stop, but I think our, the focus, I think he's hoping and wishing, are we going to go out? Get the church into the world rather than focus on getting the world into the church. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.